This is Holly Fry from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander. With seating for up to eight passengers and available panoramic moonroof, you can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with the whole family. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. With the best all-inclusive vacation deals to Mexico and the Caribbean, booking your getaway with cheap Caribbean vacations means you have more freedom. Whether you want to enjoy snorkeling, endless margaritas, and more, cheap Caribbean vacations has your deal for that. Plan and book the exact getaway you want at exactly the right price for you by using our exclusive budget beach finder or find a featured all-inclusive package to reu hotels and resorts and do your deal at CheapCaribbean.com. Ready to celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's and iHeart present Women Take the Mic, sharing empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&M's and spread some positivity. From breaking glass ceilings to dominating in sports and entertainment, women truly are unstoppable. Hi, I'm Chelsea Clinton, and this season on In Fact, we're celebrating Women's History Month. And since a month is never enough, we're keeping it going a little longer. I'm talking with trailblazing women at the top of their fields about their personal journeys, the progress women have made, and how far we still have to go. Today, I am so excited to be talking about books in the publishing industry with one of my all-time favorite authors, Jacqueline Woodson. We know that the stories we share with our kids influence how they see themselves and their place in this world. And yet, studies consistently show that the majority of main characters in American children's stories are male and white. In fact, in 2018, one study found that there were more animal and non-human characters than non-white characters in books published that year. And from 2019 to 2020, the percentage of children's books written about racially diverse characters or subjects grew by only 1%. Jacqueline has written more than 30 books for children and young adults, complex, beautiful stories that usually center around girls, women, and people of color. One of my personal favorites is the middle grade novel, Harbor Me. In it, a group of six kids get together after school each week in what they call the art room. That's A-R-T-T for a room to talk. 
with no adults present, they share their feelings and open up about the very serious challenges they and their families face. Jacqueline has written two books for adults, Another Brooklyn and Red at the Bone, but she may be best known for her middle grade memoir in verse, Brown Girl Dreaming. It won multiple awards, including the 2014 National Book Award for Young People's Literature. And for years, it's been a staple in classrooms across the country. Though, as you'll hear later, recently there have been districts trying to ban it, and it's not the only one. It would take a very, very long time to list all the awards and honors Jacqueline has received, but some of the highlights include serving as the Poetry Foundation's Young People's Poet Laureate from 2015 to 2017, being named Ambassador for Young People's Literature by the Library of Congress in 2018, receiving a 2020 MacArthur Genius Fellowship, and the 2020 Hans Christian Andersen Award, which is the highest international recognition given to authors and illustrators of children's books. Jacqueline, thank you so much for being here today. And as someone who first came to know you through your books for young readers, I would love to know first what you read growing up. What were your favorite things to read when you were a kid? It's so good to see you and talk to you, Chelsea. I love these kind of connections. I love talking about literature. I love talking about women. Yeah. So and when I think back, it's so interesting because I see my reading is being really limited. And I wonder if we talk to my older sister who read all the time, if she would have the same narrative. She loved books like A Silver Skate and Harriet the Spy and All of a Kind Family and all of these books that I was not interested in. And I didn't know why I was not interested in them, even though I love Are You There, God, It's Me, Margaret. That's one book I read over and over again. And then anything else Judy Bloom came along with. But I really found myself inside books like Eloise Greenfield, She Come Bringing That Baby Girl, which is this great book that's uh, written in a dialect I understood. And in a way that I saw myself and my people inside of it. And so I was constantly looking for those books. I remember reading The Bluest Eye when I was like in fifth grade because I was- You read The Bluest Eye in fifth grade? (laughs) Yeah. And here's the crazy thing. So I read it in fifth grade. And my memory of it was that in the end of the book, Pecola Breedlove, who's this Black girl who wants blue eyes so that she can be accepted in the world like Shirley Temple. I mean, it's such a tragic story. My memory of it was that She got blue eyes and lived happily ever after. Oh, wow. And then I read it again as an adult in high school. And I was like, oh, Toni Morrison changed the ending. And then I thought, no, there was a children's version and the adult version. And this must have been the children's version that I read in fifth grade. And I think it was my sister who was like, there are not two versions of that book. (laughs) Wow. But kids compartmentalize. So those are the books I remember. And I just remember reading the same books over and over. Hans Christian Andersen, anything that he wrote, but especially The Little Match Girl was a book that I was fascinated by. Clearly, some of the books you read made a huge impact on you, not only when you were a kid, but even through to today, it sounds like. Definitely. I think the message that got hammered in my head was that I was in a quote, great reader. And I get nervous because I see it happening with young people today. You are supposed to read fast. You're supposed to consume lots of literature. You're supposed to read 
above, quote unquote, your grade level. And there were all these rules to reading that were inside a box I was not ascribing to. For me, it was about being in the dream of the narrative, just getting caught up in the story and being swept away by it and then wanting to have that experience again and again. And so that's how I read. I read the same books over and over. And when you were little reading the same books over and over, did you ever think, oh, wow, I want to write a book that maybe some other child in the future will want to read over and over. Yeah, I've known I wanted to be a writer since I was seven. Since you were seven. That's such a specific answer. What happened at seven? Two things happened. I learned how to write my name. I learned how to write Jacqueline. And I learned that writing that name put it in the world. There was such a power to the fact that you put letters together and they make words. And that's all there was to it. And so I made that connection between the books I was reading and this new power I had of writing my name. And then I was always telling stories. I was always getting in trouble for lying. But when I wrote my name in that way, Jacqueline Amanda Woodson, I was like, I want to be a writer. And every time I read a book, like when I read Hans Christian Andersen, when I read The Little Match Girl, all I could think of was, I want to do that. I want to make someone else feel that way, or I want to make myself feel that way again. So how am I going to do that? through story. And did you know any writers when you were growing up? Did you know people who were kind of taking things out of their heads or even observing the world around them and then putting that into words? I did not. It was a different time. You know, my mom wrote poetry for a long time as a young person. And when she was in high school, she wrote the poem that opened their high school yearbook. And a very famous man who we all know whose name I won't say on air, actually put his name on the poem. This person was the editor of the yearbook and he just signed his name to the poem. And it broke my mother's heart. Like, you know, I think for her for so long, she would see that poem. I still have the yearbook. And she would say, you know, that was mine. I wrote that poem. And so I wonder what it would have meant for her to have that poem in the world in a certain way. Because at one point she loved poetry. At one point she was writing it and feeling brave enough to put it into the world. And then that was erased by the theft of it. So so I would say that I'm genetically connected to writers, but it wasn't at a point where we had author visits or anything. And so at seven, you decide you want to be a writer. Did you even know then that you would write for as many different audiences and as many different age groups? Or did that come later? I would say it came later. I knew I wanted to write. And I didn't think that there was just one group of people to write for. And I still don't believe that. I think all books are for everyone. I mean, when you look at my experience with The Bluest Eye and reading it as a fifth grader, it didn't destroy me. It made me have a whole other narrative about that story. And there are lots of people who would say, well, that book is not for kids. And it's like, yeah, it's for kids who want to read it and get something out of it. So I always thought about writing that way. I didn't think I'm going to write picture books for little kids or grown-up books for adults. I, I didn't know that those worlds were so heavily defined, but I knew that I wanted to tell stories and I wanted those stories to land with people. And so as you now think about the 30 plus books you've written for everyone, there's some more oriented toward kids or teenagers or adults. Are there certain themes that have been important to you to tackle or highlight in different books 
over time or has each book had its own identity, its own story, its own logic? Definitely both. (laughs) You know, I think the journey to the end, which has often been about acceptance, about freedom, about letting people have their lives, about seeing people as their whole selves, has transitioned through every single book I've written. I think there's a strong social justice element to the narratives, and the characters are always very different, and the situations by which they get to that we all have a right to walk through the world safely moment. It's varied from book to book. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. With the best all-inclusive vacation deals to Mexico and the Caribbean, booking your getaway with cheap Caribbean vacations means you have more freedom. Whether you want to enjoy snorkeling, endless margaritas, and more, cheap Caribbean vacations has your deal for that. Plan and book using our exclusive budget beach finder or find a featured all-inclusive package to Hyatt Ziva Riviera Cancun at CheapCaribbean.com. That's CheapCaribbean.com. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. Well, I don't know about you, but, like, I never liked being told, oh, wow, you look so good for your age. Like, why even bother saying that? Why don't you just say you look great at any age, every age? That's what Meaningful Beauty is all about. We create products that make you feel confident in your skin at the age you are now. Meaningful Beauty. Beautiful skin at every age. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. Hey, Doug Gottlieb here to tell you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making the now perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new Toyota truck like a rugged half-ton Tundra. Workhorse by nature, powerhouse by design, the Tundra combines the raw capability with premium comfort and advanced tech to fuel your wildest adventures. With the available iForce Max hybrid powertrain, you can take electrifying horsepower further than ever before. Or check out the fully redesigned Tacoma. Delivering trail-dominating power and captivating style, the new Tacoma was born to make your off-roading dreams come true. With new available tech, this legendary truck is getting even better. When you buy a Toyota truck, you buy Toyota dependability, meaning your truck will hold its value long into the future. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out the amazing national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. You mentioned your mom wrote poetry. 
And poetry also plays an important role in your books, including your memoir, Brown Girl Dreaming, which is written entirely in verse. Was it because of your mom that you were drawn to poetry? Or do you find it's sometimes just inevitable for what the story needs? Part of it is because when I was a young person, I was very afraid of poetry. I thought it was this secret language that only dead white men understood, basically. And it wasn't until I was made aware of the works of like Langston Hughes and Nikki Giovanni's poetry, I first heard her reciting on an album, on a record album that my mom had. Oh, wow! I didn't make that connection that was poetry because I was like, what is this? This is going straight to my heart. And so when I started writing, I knew that the way things sounded was important. The way things looked on the page was important. The way a line ended was important. And I learned that was poetry. I love that. And everything I write, I read out loud. So that makes a difference too in how it sounds. So I've thought about your book, Harbor Me, quite a lot in the last couple of weeks, because just looking at the crisis in Ukraine and that there are close to 3 million refugees. And in Harbor Me, it's a group of kids who are aware of often issues that we think aren't appropriate for kids to learn about or to think about, and yet issues that affect so many kids in this country or around the world, whether issues relating to incarceration or the fear of having to leave your home. And so I just wonder, Jacqueline, what stories do you hear from people who've read that book or any of your books where readers say to you, this really hit me in this way, or this really affected me? So many. You know, I think the thing that happened with Harbor Me is I was talking to young people and then the pandemic came. And then I started getting letters from young people who would say, you know, this is my life. I am Holly. I am Haley. I am Amari. So Harbor Me was like both heartbreaking and healing because I heard so many stories of so many kids across lines of race, across lines of economic class, the stories of their fear and their heartbreak and the places in which they felt trapped inside their own skin. And one of the stories in Harbor Me is about a white boy who moves into a predominantly Black neighborhood and what that means for him to suddenly be other other by no fault of his own. He's walking home and he's getting his neck slapped and he's keeping this a secret, right? That there's this down low bullying going on. And then the way the kids rally around him and say, we will not let this happen anymore. And I think that's another story that kids talk about is like, that's unfair. That shouldn't happen. Why, you know, why would they do that? And I I remember going to a school, this was with Visiting Day. And Visiting Day is a story of a girl whose dad is incarcerated. And a teacher said, well, we don't need to read this book because no one in this class has anyone in prison. And of course that made me mad. And I'm like, I'm going to read that book. Yeah. And then when I read it, one kid raised his hand. He's like, my dad's in prison. Another kid raised his hand. He's like, my cousin's in prison. My brother's in prison. And there were about six kids who knew someone who was incarcerated. And the teacher said, I never knew that. And I said, because you never open this door for them. And we had this beautiful conversation where these kids have been living with the shame of it. And I think of that often, how we as adults, we too often get to decide what the tone is in the room, what that tone is going to be and what kids are going to feel safe talking about. And Harbor Me 
became this huge conversation among all these kids talking about which character fit their own particular narrative. And it was so great to see that. And teachers talking about, okay, we're going to have an art room now. You know, we're going to have a space where adults give kids the space to talk. And it doesn't even mean having to leave the room, but being comfortable in our own silence. I find even with my own kids, if I sit very quietly, I hear things I won't hear if I'm actually talking or if they are aware of my presence in the room. And just being able to be in that space where young people are talking about all of these seemingly very, quote unquote, adult issues. And it's like, no, these are their every day. I do want to ask about Brown Girl Dreaming, since it is autobiographical and so much of your work is wonderfully in the world of fiction. But how and why did you decide to share your own story? I was trying to figure out how I got to this point of being Jacqueline Woodson. I had grown up Jackie, the regular girl on the block, you know, one of four children. And I wanted to go back to the beginning. And I was falling apart through the three years of writing that. And it's so funny because I I would just write pieces and I'm like, this is not making sense. Why isn't it coming out as chapters? Why does this even matter? It felt so deeply specific. And um you know, my beloved partner was like, just keep writing. And then I was gonna my, say, like, what was your partner and your family friends? What were they saying on this journey? <laughs> they were like, oh, Jackie's falling apart again. She must be oh, writing another no. book. Like, <laughs> Jackie's cranky again. She must have had a bad writing day. Like the same thing they've been saying for 20 <laughs> years. But I remember going to my friend Toshi Regan. She had read a bunch of these little pieces. And I said, why am I even trying to write this? Nothing was happening when I was born. Like, this does not matter. And she's like, what are you talking about? This country was on fire when you were born. And it completely unlocked it to that first poem. I am born on a Tuesday, February 12, 1963. And it really began to make sense why I was telling this story. And I really started thinking, I'm going to tell this story in the context of American history, because none of us are existing outside the context of our country's history. And then I thought I was going to talk about you know, my life and my mom and all this. And in the middle of writing it, my mom died suddenly at 68. And suddenly that door closed. And I was like, wait a second, I had questions. There were things I wanted to ask you. And then the memoir changed and it became about myself in the context of my mother, right? Because we're on these journeys because of the journeys our parents were on, because of the journeys their parents were on and all the way back in time. And that's when all of it started making sense and all of it started having this other history to it. And when I finally got the book finished, my beloved editor, Nancy Paulson, just had her hand on my back the whole time. I was still saying, no one is going to read this. And so I was stunned. I still am stunned by the journey that book has had. I've talked to book clubs where the brown girls are all Indian, you know, are all Southeast Asian, are all Asian. And to realize that so many people who see themselves as non-white saw themselves in this book. But what really surprised me were all the white boys who came to me, who wrote to me. It's like, I love this book. I loved your grandfather. Or I wonder what happened to your brother. Like everybody seemed to find some part of themselves in this book. And then I get these letters from white men in their 70s who knew my grandfather, who knew Hope. And they're like, he taught me baseball. Your grandfather was the nicest man in Nelsonville. And that blows me away. So just being able to get these pieces of my history given back to me because of this 
memoir is, is such a gift. Oh my gosh. Well, and also Jacqueline, that you wrote something that feels both specific and universal, it sounds like, to the people who are reading it. And yet we are living in a time when there are forces trying to limit what especially kids can read, trying to take books out of school or public libraries, out of curricula, especially for elementary and middle school aged kids. And I know your work has shown up on some of those lists and wonder both kind of what that feels like for you and also just what advice you would have for anyone who might be getting discouraged by the velocity of those efforts around the country. It's exhausting. Most recently, Brown Girl Dreaming ended up on the list. People were challenging it because they said, basically, there are no white folks in it and it's going to make white children feel bad. As opposed to thinking about it as an expansion of an experience for people, like the way that people are trying to use literature to make the world smaller is heartbreaking. And for me as a writer, it's exhausting more so than scary. It's like, really, we have to have this fight again. And now this fight is different though, because it's trying to be legislated. And it is in some places. So I think the thing that we have to be so aware of is that we have power to create change in this situation. We have power to go to our If we don't go to our school boards, go to our school buildings and talk to the principal and write letters in support of librarians because they are on the front lines of this. They're the ones who are getting challenged just for what's in their school libraries and teachers are getting challenged for which books they are sharing with their young people. And we really need our voices now. Um, And I wish the press would support those people who are challenging and winning against these bans because that's happening too. And that does tend to give us a fire, right? It's like, well, if they could do this in Indiana, we can do it in Brooklyn. (laughs) But I think we really have to be aware because it's going to change what our kids have access to. And as parents, we want our kids to be as broad-minded as possible and to have as many experiences as possible. And for many kids, those experiences happen through literature. And so if the literature is taken away, so much is at stake with these bands. And I just think we really have to be aware and be willing to write those letters and go to those spaces and make that change. I probably not surprisingly emphatically agree. I also think, especially for those of us who have young children for whom the pandemic has been a huge portion of their lives in which their lives were rendered quite small, it's even more important that there are pathways and portals into other people's experiences, into other communities' experiences. Oh man, it is so true. I always think about Dr. Rudine Sims Bishop, who talks about the importance of kids having both mirrors and windows in their literature, mirrors so they could see reflections of themselves and windows so that they can see into other worlds. And you're so right, this is that opportunity for them to see into those other worlds. taking a quick break. Stay with us. 
Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. With the best all-inclusive vacation deals to Mexico and the Caribbean, booking your getaway with cheap Caribbean vacations means you have more freedom. Whether you want to enjoy snorkeling, endless margaritas, and more, cheap Caribbean vacations has your deal for that. Plan and book using our exclusive budget beach finder or find a featured all-inclusive package to Hyatt Ziva Riviera Cancun at CheapCaribbean.com. That's CheapCaribbean.com. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. Well, I don't know about you, but, like, I never liked being told, oh, wow, you look so good for your age. Like, why even bother saying that? Why don't you just say you look great at any age, every age? That's what Meaningful Beauty is all about. We create products that make you feel confident in your skin at the age you are now. Meaningful Beauty. Beautiful skin at every age. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. Hey guys, LeVar Arrington here to tell you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new Toyota truck, like a rugged half-ton Tundra. Workhorse by nature, powerhouse by design. The Tundra combines raw capability with premium comfort and advanced tech to fuel your wildest adventures. And with the available iForce Max Hybrid powertrain, you can take electrifying horsepower farther than ever before or check out the fully redesigned tacoma delivering trail dominating power and captivating style the new tacoma was born to make your off-roading dreams come true and with new available tech this legendary truck is getting even better and when you buy a toyota truck you buy toyota dependability meaning your truck will hold its value long into the future so visit your local toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com toyota let's go places thinking about the need for windows and mirrors we know that most of children's literature has been written by white people and most of children's literature has been written by men and most of children's literature has actually been told from a, a male or a boy's point of view including, which I have never understood, Jacqueline, so many of the classic books about animals. And you're like, why do the frogs and the toads need to be gendered male or the ducks or the cows? And while certainly there are more 
women authors, there are more authors of color, there are more women authors of color, we're still up against a cumulative history that is overwhelmingly white and overwhelmingly male. Do you think the publishing industry is doing enough to help ensure that there are more voices given a platform, given an opportunity? And if not, what more do you think needs to happen and what could anyone listening do to try to help hasten the arrival of real representation? There is so much to do. And one thing about publishing is it's a business and publishers look at numbers and they make assumptions sometimes based on those numbers. Organizations like We Need Diverse Books have been doing the work to really change what's happening in publishing and get more books by folks published. And then publishers get nervous that those books aren't going to sell, even though I remember looking at the bestseller list at one point and there were like eight people of color on it. At the same time as parents, as teachers, it's really important to get the books. And that doesn't mean to buy them. It makes a difference if you go to your library and take that book out. Publishers are going to look at that. Publishers need to get out of their own way and understand that there's this community of young authors out there who just need a chance to get their story told and have platforms and will do their part to help get the book into the world. But yeah, it's changing slowly. I first published in the 90s and I was one of very few. I was there with Walter D. Myers and Virginia Hamilton and the McKissicks. But you can name them. I can name them. We were all friends. But that that highlights, like, I'm so grateful you had that community, Jacqueline. It also highlights the challenge that, like, you knew everyone's name. It was. And the rooms were very white. And the award ceremonies were very white. So I do think the support of writers and their stories makes a huge difference to publishers, the demand for more books like that. I always say, what does your child's library look like? When I was looking for schools for my children, the first thing I looked at was the classroom library, because that told me a lot about the teacher's choices. That told me a lot about what the tone of the classroom was going to be and what the narrative of the classroom was going to be. And I talked to the teachers and librarians and I talked about diversity. And some people are comfortable with diversity being one or two two people. I'm not. I don't think that's diversity, one or two people of color. So I think when we're talking about publishing and creating change, we're not only also talking about the number of books they're publishing, but who is in the publishing house doing the work? How many editors of color? How many publishers? How many publicity people of color? There's so many levels of it and there's still so much work to do. But again, we have that power to make that change by using our voices, by using our wallets, by using our library cards to demand that change. I'm so curious, Jacqueline, what questions do young writers, especially young women writers, ask you and what advice do you give? A lot of times... They ask, how do I get published? And I say, don't worry about that now because they're like 10. And, and I don't <laughs> think that's the age to be worrying about the publishing industry. That's the time to be telling your stories. And I say, write the stories that really matter to you and show them to the people you trust and who make you feel safe and who make you want to keep writing. Do not show them to the people who are going to destroy them. There's constructive criticism and there's destructive criticism. And I tell them what Dorothy Allison told me years and years, decades ago, that everybody has a story and everybody has a right to tell that story. So don't let 
anyone silence your story because the world is waiting for it. And I do believe that about young writers. I mean, I think, can you imagine the stories these young people are going to tell? It's going to be amazing. You know, I am so ready for it. I think they have so much grit, so many survival skills. They've learned so much. They're so smart. It's going to be phenomenal. So I am just always effusive when young people ask me about anything but publishing, because I'm like, let's get these stories on the page. And I always say, look up. You have to walk through the world with your eyes open or else you're not going to get the story. Yeah. Amen. One last question, Jacqueline. Is there one statistic or fact or anecdote that you can share that either really inspires you because it enrages you or it gives you hope about where women are and where we could be? I would say, thinking about it right in this moment, I think about people like you. I think about Roxanne Gay and Tressie McMillan Cottom and Jamil Hill and all of these women who have podcasts now who are speaking truth to power and being heard. And I think about our young women and older who actually have access to this kind of information just by putting their earphones in. So this is huge for me, the fact that we can have this conversation and this conversation can go out to lots and lots and lots of people and they can continue the conversation. It feels grassroots and it feels empowering and it feels world-changing. That's what I'm excited about today, that we're talking to each other and we're telling the truth to each other. And in doing so, we're protecting each other and lifting each other up. So let's continue that. Well, yes, Jacqueline, thank you. I listened to the radio a lot with my mom when I was a little kid, like local public radio in Little Rock, Arkansas. And I remember being so excited when there would be like a girl's voice on the air. And so when you said that, I haven't thought about that in so long. And to know that my children, your children, thankfully won't have that experience because it won't be strange to hear women's voices is something I'm really grateful for and proud to be a very small part of. Thank you for being a part of it. Thank you, Jacqueline, so much. You can find Jacqueline Woodson on Twitter at Jackie Woodson, and I highly recommend all of her books. They are important and beautiful and powerful moving stories. Her latest is a picture book called The Year We Learned to Fly. And thank you all so much for joining me for this season of In Fact. It's been truly inspiring to celebrate Women's History Month with so many amazing women. And while we celebrate progress we've made toward equality across the board, we know we still have a long ways to go. I hope you will share these incredible women's stories with your friends, families, and beyond. Thank you for listening. In Fact is brought to you by iHeartRadio. We are produced by a mighty group of women and one amazing man, Erica Goodmanson, Marit Har, Sarah Horowitz, Jessamyn Molly, and Justin Wright. With help from Lindsay Hoffman, Barry Lurie, Joy Sikubin, Julie Subrin, Mike Taylor, and Emily Young. Original music is by Justin Wright. If you like this episode of In Fact, please make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode and tell your family and friends to do the same. If you really want to help us out, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. 
the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, hey, it's Malcolm Gladwell, host of Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Your elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive entirely its own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride-or-die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. There's plenty to celebrate in March. And ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. (laughs) 